No, not really. You are a fat piece of shit. You're listening to Epic Cheat Day with your host, Derek Strong. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, ugly... Guys, before we get started with this episode of the Epic Cheat Day Podcast, I just want to tell you about a show that we're putting on over at the Lincoln Lodge 2040 North Milwaukee Avenue. This is going to be on May 7th at 9.15 p.m. at night. You can purchase tickets for the show. It's called the No Gimmicks Needed Comedy Show. It's comedy that's so goddamn good, we don't need any gimmicks. The No Gimmicks Needed Comedy Show at the Lincoln Lodge, 2040 North Milwaukee Avenue. You can purchase tickets for it right now at tngncs.eventbrite.com. And guess what, guys? Hey, listen, because you guys are loyal listeners of the Epic Cheat Day podcast, if you type in the code No Gimmicks, that's No Gimmicks, all one word, all lowercase, No Gimmicks. As the promo code, guess what? $2 off. That's right. That ticket that normally costs $7, you're getting it for $5. If you type in no gimmicks at tngncs.eventbrite.com to purchase tickets for the No Gimmicks Needed Comedy Show at the Lincoln Lodge, uh, 2040 North Milwaukee Avenue. Again, the showtime is 9.15. Please get there around 9 o'clock. It's on May 7th. We have a great lineup for you. We have Jessica Misra. We have Elaine Golden. We have the incomparable Steve Gerard. And headlining, we have the very talented, very funny Eric Emerson. I, of course, will be your host, Derek Strong. And, yeah, come on by. TNGNCS.eventbrite.com. Again, the promo code is no gimmicks for my loyal loyal epic cheat day listeners and without further ado and again that's on may 7th at the lincoln lodge starting at 9 15 please get there a little bit earlier so you could check in with us yeah it's going to be a great show why is it going to be a great show because we don't need any goddamn gimmicks we're all about the comedy and again without further ado let's get into this episode of the epic cheat day podcast thank you guys so much by the way do i say that i don't say that enough by the way like and subscribe like and subscribe, God damn it! Is it? Did you keep that? Yeah, no, we're keeping all of it. We're uh, we're gonna. Uh, so apparently, Canute doesn't let Evelyn use her lentils. Guys, welcome to another edition of the Epic Cheat Day podcast. I'm your host, Derek Strong. Today, I have with me a wonderfully talented comedian from the Chicago area. I don't know if she's from here, but we're going to find that out because that's the nature of interviews. You ask people questions and you find out answers to their lives. And uh, with me today is Evelyn Troutman. Say hi, Evelyn. Hello. Hello. Yes. Love it. She she is enthused. Uh, we are at Studio B, not Studio A, of this wonderful podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, tell me more about Canute denying you lentils. Oh well, he like made like a like ten pounds of lentils, but he didn't season them, so he said they were bad. So I wanted to try them to see because I, I saw them in the fridge. Good. Yeah. Why'd you make ten pounds of lentils at one time, you monster? I just, I just, I never heard of that many lentils being made at one time. Are you worried he's going to toss it out? Are you worried about him wasting the food? No, I was just curious. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess ideally don't waste, but if they're bad lentils, you know. Yeah. It's just, it's a bad lentil. It's lentils are, they're they're necessary. They're a fibrous, I'm going to call, I was going to say they were a fruit. They are not a fruit, Evelyn. They are not. I think they're a legume. (laughs) They are a legume. Much like, did you know peanuts are a legume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's why people have peanut allergies, but they can have uh, tree nut butter and stuff like that because uh, they're not the same things. So uh, tell uh, tell my guests a little bit about you. First and foremost, the one thing that I ask all of my guests is, what's the greasiest meal you had all week? Um, damn. I don't know. Um, well... At lunch today, my roommate Bobby and I cooked quesadillas, and he, like, fried some green peppers. Green peppers, quesadillas. The name Mm -hmm. of this episode is going to be Green Peppers and Quesadillas with Evelyn Troutman. Yeah. So, how long have you been doing comedy? Um, five years. Five years. Did you get your start here in Chicago? No. I started in Columbus, Ohio. I'm from Ohio originally, and I went to school in Columbus. So that's where I started doing stand up because that's when I found out about stand up. And what was it like over there comparatively speaking to your experiences here in Chicago? Um it was a decent sized scene, way smaller than Chicago. Um but it was like pretty like there was like a lot of different there was still like a lot of different like sects of it sect sex yeah sex that's the wrong term but like uh like it I is mean, they're chicken. kind of like sex if you yeah. think about it i mean they're I, I mean i like to think of it more like clicks because it's kind of like high school but yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's the same gist clicks yeah, yeah like there was like a gay scene and like a you know black comedy scene and like you know i mean everybody yeah. kind of co-mingled of course but um yeah so there was like a lot going on um and it was cool because there was also um, a pretty big burlesque scene there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. As well as a decent, like, live poetry scene. Um, so I, I was on variety shows with those types of performers as well. So that was cool to get to know people in those communities. Absolutely. I've noticed that, too, because I came, uh, I started originally in Philly, and I noticed that there's a, a cross-pollination between those scenes because of, it's a, you know, it's a smaller scene. So it's like anytime there's an open stage, you're going to have, you know, a, a poet, you're going to have musicians, you're going to have burlesque, you're going to have stand-up, and you're going to have them a lot on the same show. Chicago, you can get that. Like, I, like I've done a lot of, uh, and I'm sure you've done plenty of shows where there's an improv or... Mm-hmm. Like maybe just one or two improv performance, but I've done shows where, and I don't know if you've done these yet, where it's like predominantly improv and you're like the one stand up. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always I fun. Have, I, I leave those shows early now. But, uh, uh, <laughs> you can't sit through the improv. Well, usually they have the stand. Yeah. Usually they have the stand up open. They do. So I just, I sat through like a decent number of those i sat through a lot of those so i don't know haven't we all if you sat through two you sat through more than you needed to ever sit through yeah and i don't know it's so i don't feel i i mean i haven't done stand-up in like a year but like at one point it just got to the point where i was just kind of making up excuses um to leave but I mean, some sometimes you'll get like a gem. Sometimes you'll get a good one. Yeah, but yeah, 
I mean, I think that's that's true with anything. So uh, tell us about your last performance that you had for stand-up. Um, said it was about a year ago. Do you remember where it was? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a lie. It's been less than a year because I've done two. I've done three shows. I've done four shows actually since COVID hit. Um. So the most recent one I did. It was just a Zoom show that was like kind of forgettable. So I'm not going to talk about that. Also, I don't want to diss people who might be listening to this i don't know if they listen to this podcast but uh and yeah, then, nobody listens to the podcast so you can just <laughs> whoever you want all three of my listeners are not going to be offended uh, why are we going to say something bad about zoom zoom comedy no just the specific show i was on it was just not great but it was a zoom show so yeah. like you can't ex- i wasn't expecting anything exactly it was just kind of like I wasn't super engaged. Well, that's, and I think that's like, if you do zoom and if you want to get like some reps in, I guess just so you could hear yourself say jokes to not avoid, Mm -hmm. um, you know, go in there with that mindset. And I think that that'll work out more often than people like, Oh, it's an actual show. Like, no, it's different, you know? Yeah. And like, so the first show I did on zoom, I actually did from rehab. Really? Yeah. Because I left, um, context for, I guess, the audience. I I was diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was 13, and it's like, so I've been like in and out of treatment at different points of my life since then. So I decided to go to um, rehab. I left like March 10th of 2020, and then wow. like four days later, the whole city shut down. <laughs> So it was like the weirdest timing. Absolutely. Um, And so basically I experienced like the first four months of like lockdown in Missouri. In Uh, lockdown. Yeah. (laughs) In further lockdown. Um, So I was like in double lockdown. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Hermetically sealed lockdown. (laughs) Yeah. So, but it was cool because... So I was in residential for 10 weeks and then I was in like a, yeah, a step down from that PHP where I was there for like 12 hours a day, but then I would like stay in like apartment in town. Do um, you mind telling them what a PHP is? Yeah. PHP stands for a partial hospitalization program. And so, um, different programs are, are slightly different, but, um, the one I was in, um, so residential is a 24 hour care, um, seven days a week. So you live, um, in this case, it was like a big converted mansion um, with a bunch of other crazy people, essentially. Yeah, and you much. all try to fix yourselves. Um, and then um, PHP, um, instead of living at the facility, I just stayed at apartments that the, I guess, organization owned um, nearby. And then um, I would I would still have like therapy programming from... Well, technically, it was supposed to be 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. seven days a week, but um, because Jesus. of COVID, yeah. yeah, but because of COVID, half of it was virtual, and that like sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. It's really draining. Yeah, but also like with eating disorders, like a lot of that time is spent eating. Yeah, <laughs> so like it's like it's like I don't know. There's no real concept of. Which I guess is even worse because there's no real like lunch break or whatever. Because yeah. like lunch is like one of the harder parts of the day. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. But so I was in that for another 
10 weeks, I think, something like that. Uh, so wait, do you mind if we uh, examine that a little bit more? Because yeah. I think a lot of people, they have a misconception, um, you know, when it comes to eating disorders, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and of course, anybody who's listened to more than two episodes of my podcast, they know my story. They know that I've uh, that I was institutionalized when I was in high school mm-hmm. um, because I was fucking crazy, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there was a lot of kids there, too, that, that like they were like cross pollination. So a lot of like a lot of people with like, you know, like aggressive OCD, a lot of, you know, young suicide, mm-hmm. suicidal people, a um, bunch of people with schizophrenia at a very young age, which is brutal. Yeah. A lot of eating disorders too, so I got mm-hmm. to I got to really get my fill of really understanding what that meant. You know, I you know what really pisses me off. By the way, this always gets me, uh, and, and it gets me with like schizophrenia when people uh, when people misdiagnose things like schizophrenia. But like with eating disorders, like people don't understand the difference between anorexia, bulimia. They don't get that there's that like I've heard I've heard like one them you being used interchangeably to describe the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. do you mind sharing your diagnosis with people? No, I don't mind. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia. Um, and would you like to explain to people what that actually means? Not what they think it means, what yeah. it actually means. Um, so it means that I have like the way my brain is set up, like most people have a drive to eat food I basically have a drive to like avoid food um and that cup it also comes with not for everybody but um, a lot of people with anorexia um have an intense fear of gaining weight um they uh it comes with like a refusal to maintain a normal body weight um if untreated I guess um and they're like Hold different. On one. Oh. oh yeah, it's tofu yeah, time. I was gonna say, yeah. uh, uh, we're, food is being cooked right now. There's rice being cooked. We're gonna be doing some vegetarian sushi. Uh, anybody who knows this podcast knows that I love sushi, and um, I have not delicious. had homemade sushi. It is delicious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, ooh, Canute, is this for me? Yeah. Wow, Canute is giving beverages. You didn't <laughs> offer Evelyn any beverage. She's good. Right? I got the water. I got the. I got the best cat dad ever mug. Um, <laughs> yes, no, okay. That's the best. Please tell me you bought him that mug. Please no, tell me. No, his sister did. Oh. Yeah. I was going to say, I, you, you told me you had a sister. <laughs> I'm date your sister. What, she's going to be a tall version. Of, she's going to be you with a wig. Like, I don't want that same <laughs> facial hair and everything. No, nah, it's fucked up. That's bad. Uh, we were actually talking about something important before your noises interrupted us, Canute. Fuck. Anyway. By the way, thank you, mm-hmm. Evelyn, for having um, a different energy from my typical guests because Canute does not like the fact that I basically yell through 90% of my podcasts. Uh, yeah, I was like curious if you would yell less with me or more in order to balance the energy more. <laughs> I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. I don't know, Canute, you're kind of the arbitrator right now. Like, what should, how should I handle? Because, I mean, well, I. Here's the thing, though. It's I think it's because you do have something that I really think that people could benefit from hearing about, whereas other people who are quiet. Like I, I had another comic on here who was very quiet, and I did let him talk, but you know I had to pull the conversation out of him, mm-hmm. so I was definitely a lot louder. Um, yeah. 
but he's a great guy. It's still a really good, uh, still a really good episode. I mean, you know, listen, I'm a raging egomaniac like anybody who wants to stand on a stage and talk about themselves for five to ten minutes at a time. So naturally it was great because of me. But uh, yeah. uh, this episode, because of, because of the nature of the conversation, I want to give you as much room to breathe as possible with this. Oh. So, well, thank you. Uh, um, with that being said, uh, please continue. Oh, yeah. About anorexia. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like, I don't know. It's always, I feel like the more I've learned about anorexia and eating disorders in general and the more therapy I've been to, it's kind of like my definition of anorexia becomes like uh, less tangible in a way. Yeah. Because, and I'm sure you know this with like your own mental illnesses and like that experience, like everybody is so like individualistic and like in terms of like how these things present. Absolutely. And so, yeah. And so like, you know, like those are kind of the symptoms that I mentioned are kind of like the most stereotypical ones. Um, but you know, there's like, you know, those are like the behaviors, like there's like so many, so much cognition underlying and basically like, you know, and like with a lot of, um, I've heard eating disorders, um, categorized before as a process addiction. Okay. Um, so like in a, a type of addiction that's more like you're addicted to a process of doing something. Um, and so like from that perspective, and I think this can apply to like a lot of, um, different struggles that people have is like, it's about the food, but like, it's not about the food. Like, and it's not about like the body image or the weight. Like it's, yes, those are like factors and like symptoms but like what underlies eating disorders and a lot of mental illnesses is like trauma and like absolutely yeah like emotional you know dysregulation and and stuff like that and so you know at least speaking for myself and um you know it's like the food you know it's it's kind of just like a distraction um, my body is a distraction from from what's really going on. Yeah. Um, and it, obviously, like the eating disorder has to be addressed first before you can address like the underlying stuff. Um, but I think that's something that people might not necessarily realize. Yeah. Um, about eating disorders. Yeah, and it's true. And like you said, it's uh, it's like that with mental health stuff as well. It's um, mm-hmm. you know, it's. Uh, you know, I mean, again, the, one of the psych 101 things that everybody studies and tries to read up about is nature versus nurture, how much of it is something that you're just born with. And I think that everybody has some level of predisposition, um, to any of these things, whether it be something like anorexia or to mental health. I mean, if you look at what the nature of anorexia and like you said, the things that trigger it or are the underlying it's, um, 
you know, I mean, especially in terms of that, like you said, the process addiction, process addiction is a lot in lines with like, you know, ruminative or obsessive sort of mm-hmm. thinking and thought processes, um, you know, with uh, mental health stuff. Again, there's it's mostly an underlying issue that it's coming up for. It's some traumatic thing that happened and it's your brain's way of compensating for that fact. So it's just like, oh, OK, it's easier to go into people who are schizophrenic do have a tendency to. I mean, that's that's more of an organic thing that happens, whereas mm-hmm. uh, but usually it's there is a traumatic event that triggers it even though Mm. you know it's something that probably would have happened eventually where it started expressing itself um that being said though uh you know so i grew when growing up like you know i i mean i have insane body image issues i mean i'm overweight i've 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 gone through the whole process of gaining and losing weight over and over again i do material about it but it's like Mm -hmm. at my worst i was 330 pounds i got down to 200 pounds um, and then like I back up to like 290 and I've done that multiple times. I mean, I, I, I grew up growing up. My mom, she was bulimic. And mm. for people who don't know what bulimia is, bulimia is uh, when somebody binges and purges, they binge eat and then they throw it up afterwards. Um, that's I the worst layman's version of what bulimia is. There's so much more to it than that's that. The gist, yeah. That's the gist. The yeah. hallmark. The hallmark. Uh, I've dated a few women who were uh, full. There and there's again. There's different levels to all of this shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when you're at the point where it's clinical for anything, though, where it's detrimental, like I had uh, uh, Drew Lauren on the po- uh, on mm-hmm. the podcast, and her episode, her episode, of course, had to do with her mental health stuff, and she mm-hmm. was talking about OCD, and she had mm-hmm. clinical level OCD, and I'm like, please explain to people the difference because. People think that, oh, OCD means you're a neat freak. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. Just like uh, I know somebody who claimed to be anorexic and I was just like, uh, you miss meals because and well, and hers was almost pathological is because mm-hmm. she felt she didn't deserve food. Um, yeah, no, that's I that's mean. that's yeah. So uh, but. So, yeah, maybe she, now I feel like an asshole. Anyway, um, the. uh yeah, so like you were saying before about how like the underlying the underlying thing here again is like it's more like the the effect as opposed to the cause. So the cause is something different, but the mm-hmm. effect is it's being expressed in the form of not eating food. Yeah. Um, so in terms of now, you said you were diagnosed when you were thirteen, and you've been in, have you were you now at first were you just thrown right into the institutional system about it or did that take some time? Was there like a ramp up? Um, I know with me, like I had like early childhood trauma. So it was like for, you know, I was medicated for a good portion of my early childhood. And then once I got to my teenage years, they were like, okay, this kid's a fucking mess. We need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I got sent away to a residential program. Okay. And, uh, but so I was just wondering, like Mm -hmm. with yours, was it like, did you start the people, did did it start affecting you then or was there like a gradual ramp up and they're like, okay, we got to do something about it now. How did it work for you? Yeah. So, I mean, at that point I was in middle school and it was like right before, you know, like, you know, you're like going through puberty and like I, um, 
and, and you know, like our society, you know, um, diet culture is oh so pervasive and insidious and like fat phobia. Yeah. Um, even, you know, what you were saying before, how it's, how, you know, um, just, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but like how you were categorized, like when you were your heaviest, that was like your worst. And like, yeah, you know, like there's always that stigma that like gaining weight is bad or being heavier is bad. And, um, I think, you know, so that seeps into the individual, um, and the individual level. And we kind of like ascribe to these, um, values and like ideals. Um, and so when I was in middle school, um, I think I, I don't know, just like my friends, like, you know, teenage girls, like there was just like some diet talk, you know, you know, everybody's kind of super self-conscious about their bodies. And so, and I just, I don't know. I kind of just like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to try to start like eating a little bit healthier. And so, but like, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I just like started cutting things out, but then I wasn't eating enough. So then I, you know, lost weight. And I, had this, I was like an athlete too. Oh, um, really? What sport did you play? I ran cross country and I did swim team. Wow. Okay. Which is like probably the two most intense I, sports. I was just going to say you need <laughs> calories to yeah. do those. God. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was a struggle for sure. Um, because then connected to that, I also like struggled with compulsive exercise as part of my eating disorder. So that was like another thing, but so, um, I like now not to cut you off with mm-hmm. now, uh, you're obviously competing as an athlete, right? Uh, yeah, I was good at cross country. I was not yeah. good at swim team. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. See, and the reason why is because I, I noticed this, especially when I was talking to Drew, because I know that she has a very competitive mindset and I'm wondering if that contributes at all to having that level of just like, okay, well, if I got to be the best at this, well, I got to be the best at, mm-hmm. you know, getting healthier, eating healthier, mm-hmm. eating less. Do you know what I mean? Like if that, mm-hmm. if there's some, if there's some correlation, I don't know if there is, but you know, I, maybe I'm just clutching for the worst kind of straws right now, but no, I, um, yeah, I think there is something there. There is definitely a correlation. I think for me, it was definitely rooted in kind of like perfectionism yeah. and like that sort of tendency. Um, cause I was like, you know, I got really good grades in school. Like I was like, quote unquote, like good. I was, I was good at what society wanted you to be good at. Of course. And so, you know, there was that sort of drive. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't really confident or aggressive. So like I did the sports where you don't actually have to like, uh, you're competing with people, but like there's no contact with other people. And like, um, And so, and to go with the point of, um, what you mentioned about, um, being the best, um, I don't know if I necessarily had felt I needed to be the best. I just wanted to be good at what I was doing. And I think that sort of approach I used at various points, like throughout my disorder, because it it's changed a lot over the years as Absolute, I've grown oh. and changed. Like <laughs> yeah. it, ser- you know, it, it serves different, it has served different functions, um, at different points in my life based on what I was going through. And I think at certain points, um, it kind of was sort of like, okay, well, even if I'm, you know, once I like, you know, got more exposure to the world and I wasn't like 
good at a lot of things. Like it was like, okay, well, this is slipping and this is falling apart and I don't feel like good at this, but at least I'm skinny yeah. or at least I have, I can control this one thing. Um, so that was definitely like one aspect. And I, I think, you know, there are so many like negative core beliefs that perpetuate my eating disorder. And I think a lot of people's struggles, um, cause I, I can also relate to what you said that, that, um, one girl that you mentioned, how yeah. she felt like she didn't deserve food. I've, I felt like that. Like, I felt like there was a period in my life where when I like, it was actually after when I went to college and I moved to a city and I, cause I grew up in like a pretty rural area Yeah, and it was like very white, just very, you know, middle-class. And so like, I didn't know anything about like, you know, society. Um, and so I like started to get more exposure to like people who didn't have things that I had and, um, stuff like that. And I felt very guilty. And so I think at that point in my life, my eating disorder was a way to punish myself or at least try to achieve some sort of like justice, quote unquote, by like hurting myself to like make myself like to try to lower myself. There's a, there's a, there's an actual name for that. And I, I, it's, it's eluding me right now. I know, I know it's, I I know this word. I used to love it. I used Mm. to love this word. I used to use it all the time. I want to, is that a, no, that's not attrition. Is it where you, Um, where you suffer for like, you know, like, uh, like the, you know, the priests who sell, who self flagellate in order to, you know, like there's this like really, uh, what was it? Uh, what was the movie? The Da Vinci code like that, the guy that was like the, uh, the Knights Templar who was, uh, who would just, you know, like lash himself anytime he had to do uh penance or or something. Oh yeah. But like it's a similar thing to that though. It's like you're, um, I could I could totally understand that mindset of just being like in an environment where you're like, okay, well, how do I, you know, how do I express this guilt in the best po- the worst mm-hmm. possible way? Um, that's a good one. Now you mentioned something before that I find I found to be really interesting, um, and that was because it's something that I know for me mental health wise that I've I've definitely experienced as well. I mean, there's just there's, there's so much cross pollination with these types of things, you know, with addiction, mm-hmm. um, with uh, you know, with mental health issues, with eating disorders. You know, it's. Uh, but the one thing that you mentioned that was really, really, really interesting was how it served a different purpose at different points in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, cause with me, absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there has, I mean, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I didn't realize why I was getting away with things that other people were and It was because my parents didn't know what to do. They just didn't mm-hmm. know what the fuck to do. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, you know, we can't really, we can't really hit them because that's probably going to make the situation worse. Yeah. So, you know, and then I got older, it was, uh, you know, I've definitely used it as a shield, you know, um, you know, it's, uh, how do you, you know, deal with a, a traumatic event that's continually going on? Like when I was homeless, for example, a lot of people who you see or are homeless, they are in their own worlds because that's their way of coping with what's going on. You yeah. know, I wasn't any different when it came to that. I definitely had my own little like illusion of what was going on. Would you say now, now you mentioned being in, uh, institutionalized, Mm -hmm. um, and everybody I know, like they have, you know, 
and it, I don't care what a person is institutionalized for. Um, you know, it's everybody experiences it a differently and B they get different things out of it. Some mm-hmm. people don't get anything out of it. I'm sure you've met a bunch of people like that. Um, yeah. how much would you say, uh, you were able to get out of being institutionalized for this? Uh, how beneficial do you think it is? What would you say is wrong with the institutional system? Um, okay. So I guess the first question, um, what I got out of it or if I felt like I got anything out of it. So because I was diagnosed so young, um, probably like the first, God, like maybe eight or so years of my disorder, every time I was put into treatment, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't my idea. And at least at first, it was not my decision. <laughs> at first, yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, it rarely is. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it wasn't because uh, when I, when I first, when I was like 14, I didn't think I had a problem. I thought yeah. my parents were just like trying to, you know, get in my business and micromanage and Absolutely, stuff and yes. they're like no you're dying and I'm like no like no fuck off yeah. um but like so my parents yeah my parents didn't really know what to do um they never sent me off they they tried to do um an approach called maudsley which is essentially where like the parents refeed the children which I don't Wait, they what they refeed the children. So the children have no say in any of the food choices. The parents make all the decisions for the child. Um, and like and you were 13. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So hold on real quick. This, happened, <laughs> I, I, this is because I know after this, I'm not going to get a chance to do this because this yeah. is that hit me in the weirdest way. So <laughs> hold on. Yeah. Whoo. Guys, hit me up at the Epic Cheat Day Podcast. Do you have or know somebody who has experienced eating disorders, um, you know, or methyl stuff? Or hit me up just period. Why the fuck not? Who else are you going to talk to? I'm an awesome person. Epic Cheat Day Podcast at Gmail, Facebook, Instagram. Guys, when, whatever it is you're watching me on, like it, comment on it. Even if it's a bad comment, all press is good press, you know, but you're going to love the fucking podcast. You're going to tell White Castle to sponsor me because I fucking I'm gonna die early because I love White Castle so much. Uh, it's they clean out they clean out your soul because you shit so much you have nothing left. <laughs> anyway, that's my ad for White Castle. And without further ado, let's go back to. So your parents, I got it. When you were 13 years old, mm-hmm. did something where they had to choose your food for you. Yes, with with the help of like we would see a therapist. Okay. At like a a treatment center, maybe like once a week or something, and like I don't, but yeah, like so there was like professional guidance, but wow. it was very much like refeeding is done like within the family. Now, how what kind of effect did that have on you, like psychologically, emotionally? If you don't mind diving into that yeah. stuff, I mean, there's no way that. You, that was a, the best feeling possible. Like, oh, good. I don't have to think about this anymore. Yeah. No, it, uh, especially because I didn't realize, think I had a problem at first. Um, 
I've said this before, but it's like, so like the eating disorder was traumatic. Yes. And then my parents refeeding me was traumatic. And then. <laughs> Isn't that always like, the case? It, for you? Yeah, yeah. Like the like trauma a, just kept building. Totally. Um, and granted, like, okay, yes. Like I'm, I'm grateful that my parents did something because it kept me alive. Like I don't hold it against them. Amen. Yeah. Why, why does this fucking thing keep making noise? <laughs> tofu time part two. Does the rice machine <laughs> not know that the podcast is happening right now? Why don't you get a better fucking rice? God, this man is feeding me and I'm yelling at him for fucking cooking the food that I didn't pay for for him to feed me with. I am an asshole. I'm just saying that thing was pissing uh, we're talking about some really good stuff right now, okay, Canute? All right, all right. We're talking about being institutionalized and how traumatic that is to somebody right. at a young age. When I went to the high school that I went to, mm-hmm. calling it a high school is a fucking joke. This is basically a way to keep the bad, the the bad, fucked up kids away from society. I was learning the equivalent of what a person would learn in their first year of high school. Uh-huh. In my senior year. Oh, my God. Because it was just designed. It's literally just designed to like, we got to keep these kids from killing themselves now. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's I'm glad that you mentioned that, too. Mm-hmm. Had my parents and I'm confident of this, mm-hmm. had they not noticed that these things were happening, at least tried to do something mm-hmm. like I had at least some wherewithal from an early age and at least some kind co- co- some cognition of the fact that something was wrong so that mm-hmm. when I really wanted to work on myself, I had like some level of foundation. I was just yeah. like, okay, this is at least, it may not be the best path going through, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapy and, mm-hmm. and, and all these different programs that I went through. It may not be the best path, mm-hmm. but at least it's something yeah. that I, I understand. The only way I could have gotten to that was because my parents at least saw that there was a need there and yeah. they tried doing what they could could and you know that's all that's why i don't have any resentments with my parents it's like they did what they could yeah yeah and my parents my parents didn't really know anything about eating disorders and so they didn't know what to do and like and so yeah it was it definitely hurt my relationship with my parents at the time because totally oh man because then i you know then i started lying and hiding food and like you know there was just a lot of like manipulation and deception um and then so like to return to the question about like benefiting from like certain programs and stuff i think as i got older i was naturally kind of just like my brain was maturing and like you know you know now i'm i'm 26 so my brain you know your brain completely stops developing once you're 25 so like yeah. i've finally passed that and and i i feel like the older i've gotten the the better the more i've been able to take ownership of my eating disorder and like my own well-being and my journey and so like you said i very much agree like even though like I was sort of forced into program after program after program and like had to do things that I didn't really want to do. It did, it did help me in the long run. Um, even though that was like additional trauma that I have to work through. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and like also then like my eating disorder kind of like morphed to deal with that trauma. I don't know. It was weird, but, um, yeah, I would say, I mean, this last time I went to rehab, I think, 
was the first time where it was both it was both my decision and my idea because the previous time I had gone that's real ownership guys because yeah. yeah that means like no nobody's calling anybody on you and you're not getting the guys in the uh the ambulance knocking on your door they mm-hmm. that mean because that could be an emergency situation easily I could definitely see that turning south pretty fast like somebody not eating and yeah I mean yeah it's like one of those it's this is something I like think about a lot in terms of like mental illness and agency. Yeah. And like, because if my parents hadn't been so like perceptive and kind of proactive, even though it was kind of like a long stumbling journey. Yeah. Um, I would definitely be dead and like, same, same. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, I'm grateful for that. It, it It's weird. Like I'm grateful for that, but then it's like, if I were to like look at someone else and like have to make that decision to kind of like, cause it's like you're stripping someone of their agency, but it's not really that they already have been stripped of that because it's, it's actually the mental disease that's stripping you. Exactly. And so it's like you have to, they have to give up control in order to regain it back in the future. But it's like, when you're making that decision totally. for someone and they don't know that that's happening, I think it's a really, that eth- had to be tough for your parents. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's definitely like an ethical gray area. And like, it's still something that I, I don't know if I have, like, I think it's a case by case basis in terms yeah. of what's best for different people. And that's also something I've had to learn. I'm still learning is like, because I had such a specific kind of like, like hard experience like that then when I see people with like similar issues or struggles or even different struggles but they're they're kind of taking a different path I'm like like no that's dangerous you're gonna die like I immediately catastrophize because I'm projecting I'm like oh no like and so that's something I've also had to learn of um in order to like keep in check and you know sometimes because I don't know if you if this happens to you in terms of what you deal with, but like, um, like I can spot the signs of like disordered eating. Yeah. Like, that. like I like just know, like me, like I could, you know, uh, because, uh, because I have a lot of delusional thinking on top of, uh, uh well, one point I was, uh, as you know, like, you know, your brain changes. So I, at one point I had, well, I was diagnosed seven different times. I was, I had seven different diagnoses wow. within the course of like two years. And I mean, it makes sense because it's just, they really don't like you're exhibiting signs. You're exhi- I was exhibiting things from so many different, you know, at, at different points I was exhibiting different things. But, uh, the one that they settled on was schizoaffective, which I tend to believe. And that's when you have, um, when you have, uh, whatchamacallit, when you have, um, oh God. When you have symptoms of both bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So with this, I mean, but it's like, it's, it's, it's more in mine would mean lean more towards the manic depressive side with some delusional thinking. I still deal with delusional thoughts, but I know somebody before probably they even know it themselves. I'm just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I know exactly why they're talking the way they're talking yeah. right now. And I'm sure you see, you know what the telltale signs are. You know, you can almost sniff it out. It almost becomes a sixth sense, you know? Yeah. Um, 
what was I going to ask you? So, because this is this is fucking great. I think this is my favorite episode. I think one of them. This is up there because oh, wow. I mean it's important. I think yeah. I think it's important for people to understand that it's like it's. Because it is trivialized, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's uh, when I had Jamal Gashan on, um, you know, we got to a really good, a good point in the discussion. But um, he trivialized mental illness because of the way, and of course, because of how it's discussed mm-hmm. in the comedy scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh and yeah, I, it's like a, it's like, it's like a, a trophy or like a medal. People like. Yeah, and it's just like I if or I like could, a trope too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a trope, and you know, and I mean, I've heard it with eating disorders too. It's just I, and it's just like yeah, you could trivialize it until you actually encounter somebody who's going through the shit, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that being said, uh, sorry for that segue. I just oh. uh, I just um, the fact. Uh, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you. So like, because I know for me, uh, like taking hold of, and ownership of that. Um, especially at the age that I did mm-hmm. uh, and just saying like, okay, this is something I have to deal with in the program that I was in when I was um, getting off the streets uh, and uh, it was, I was amongst like uh, the homeless mentally, uh, the homeless mentally ill community. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, one of the thing, one of the taglines that the program had was our clients or uh, they were interviewed for a newspaper of the, the director of the program. And she, her quote in there was like, our clients don't know that anything's wrong. Mm. So they don't understand like that. They, they, these are people that have been, you know, dealing with schizophrenia or dealing with some delusional type of thinking for such a long period of time mm. that getting them out of that mm. is that's secondary. It's just like, OK, they're going to be with this forever. So I was one of the few people that came in there. It was just like, OK, no, I know something's wrong. Let's yeah. what are we going to do about this? Because. Yeah. Um, and that gave me like, there was a bit of a sense of pride too. Cause it's like, okay. And not pride in like, you know, the, the, uh, the aforementioned badge of honor way. Uh, cause that's, a, and you know, it's a, you know, mm-hmm. I know which way, I know exactly how you meant that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more in the, uh, in the sense of it's like, okay, it's, it's, well, I mean, for lack of a better word, you said it already. It's agency. It's like, okay, this is something I have to do mm-hmm. regardless. It's either this or death. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do about it? And with that, I mean, that's that's you becoming a person. You know what I mean? That's part of being a person is just like yeah. owning your life, you know? Um, and uh, so kudos to you for doing that because there's people who don't. I mean, the fact that you saw that there was a problem that you were going through it and you sought treatment, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have done that, you know? And uh, so, uh, you know, props to you for doing that and uh, and for catching it and for actually like being proactive about it. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, amen. I, I, that's that's fucking awesome. I am speaking almost in tongues right now. I don't know why though. I don't know why. I had sleep. That all made sense to me. I ate well. Oh, anyhow, um, I'm not long. How long have we been going for? Let me just uh, check. Not that I want to cut this short. Right? Uh, how long? Do you know how long we've been going for? Canute's gonna look for. It's uh, 44 minutes. Ah, fuck that. We're going further. All right, so. <laughs> Um, so 
Okay, let's bring it back to comedy. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would you say that's affected you as a performer? Do you mm-hmm. believe that it's helped in some way, show, perform, or fashion uh, in terms of... Because you're one of the most... I, I, hands down, you're one of the most creative people I've seen comedy-wise. I think the ballsiest comedy is doing anything remotely alt. I... Uh, my hat's off to you. So, thank you. Um, would you say any of your experience, or how much of your experience, has affected, or helped, or molded you as a performer? Yeah, it's definitely um, affected me as a performer. I feel like so. I had been doing the first time I went to rehab um, was in the summer of 2017. Okay. So, um, and after that, I was. I think I was 22. Um, I'd been doing stand-up for like a year and a half, but I had never like talked about my eating disorder on stage before. Um, but because I, they only kept me in res for like two and a half weeks at that place, which is a different topic, but <laughs> that's, a, yeah, but, that's a short period of time. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, and then they let me out and then I was in PHP in Columbus. So I would go to that during the day and then do open mics at night. Kind of like how I did <laughs> when I was, awesome. that's that by the way, anybody who wants to talk about fucking grinding at comedy, that's <laughs> grinding. Okay. I did that in Chicago too, because of course I moved and that triggered me relapsing. Absolutely. And so I had to do that here as well. So that's kind of how I break into a new city. Um, as I go, go to treatment during the day and now how adept are you or recognizing your triggers at this point i would assume pretty pretty good at it right yeah i'm pretty good at it it's still definitely tricky like i have to really practice a lot of like mindfulness and like looking at my intentions with like everything like yeah, it's like I, like when people are like, Derek, you don't seem as like confident when it comes to things. It's like it's not a lack of confidence. I have to second guess certain decisions that I make because I have to look mm-hmm. at the, you know, the like what are the long term ramifications. I'm talking about like innocuous shit that mm-hmm. would not have any effect on other people. It's like, yeah, no, this <laughs> I have to pay attention to this bullshit, you know, yeah. Um so yeah. I don't know if that's the same for you or if you have like little things that can trigger you that people would be like, why is she, why, why is she worried about that? Or Yeah. 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 No, definitely. I mean. I mean, moving's obviously a big one. Moving's one of the most traumatic things oh, yeah. that a person could do. Yeah. Going from Columbus to Chicago, if that doesn't trigger 10 things happening, then yeah. you're not a person. Um, but. Yeah. No, it was a. Uh... It was definitely a lot. Well, yeah, because I moved and then, like, yeah, I didn't really know anyone here. And then, like, I think my grandma died around that time, too. Wow. And I also got, like, heartbroken by this guy around that time. So it was just, like, a big swarm of things. That's a nice sandwich you got going oh, on. Oh, yeah. That it was, is, like, uh, the t- big three. Jeez. Um, but, yeah, to go back to, oh, yeah, so my comedy, like, yeah. it's definitely, I mean, at that point, like, when I've done when I've been doing stand up while I've been in treatment, at that point it's sort of like that's what keep that's what kept me going. Like it was sort of like I don't know if you know of the skill uh, cognitive diffusion. I've I I sh- I feel like I should know this and I don't. <laughs> it's like it's like so it's like it's kind of recognizing your thoughts and then like separating yourself 
from them and oh, from like yeah, reality. I've done, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know the term for it, but yeah, I do know that. As yeah, a, so as like a, me, yeah. me talking about my eating disorder on stage, like that's a way for me to kind of separate it from myself. Totally. And so it. it's not as all-consuming. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, I have a, so much material about my eating disorder. <laughs> Both because that was like coping mechanism for me at the time. And also like it's important for me to talk about like it's important to me. Totally. Um, And so it's now def- do you get any pull. Do you feel sorry? I apologize no, for cutting off. But this is uh, this is definitely pertinent. And I, I you know, you'll because I, I mean, it's I've noticed it, too. Like that's why I don't ever deep dive into the homeless stuff, mostly because I, I don't really I don't really think about it anywhere near as much as I did, but like anytime I've done the material, maybe it's just because I'm not that good as a comic, but like it's, I'm, I can sense like a palpable pullback from the audience when you touch on, well, at least when I touch on certain subjects, I don't know if it's how I'm doing it. Do you find that when you perform material that uh, relates to eating disorders? Yes, but not all the time. So it depends on, it depends on the audience. Um, it's funny. I think the people who have the people who have the least experience with it are the ones who are like the most like quote like triggered by it. Like they're, they get the most the uptight. Case? They're like, I know. oh no! It's like this is my fucking life. Like it was so crazy. <laughs> I've never understood that because I've yeah. seen that so many times where it's just like it's. You know what it is? It's because they, I think there's a little bit of a guilt trigger in them. Like the yeah. way they get kicked up, where it's like, oh well, I don't know what that's like. That poor thing. So it's like they're you know. They're uh, what's that uh, sympathy empathy? They're they're sympathizing, oh, but they're yeah. not empathizing. You know, they're because they don't know. But yeah, so yeah. okay, you have experience. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. because I've done I have done stand up for for people that I'm currently in treatment with. Yes, like I've, I've people have come with me to open mics after treatment and like watch my stand up or like come to my shows or like, yeah, it. they fucking love yeah. it because they're like, yes, this is like so real. Like I can relate to this. It's funny you should say that. So I did, uh, I opened for somebody at a rehab show. Uh, it was a drug rehab. And so I was able to do all of my homeless material, all yeah. of my psych ward material, all of mm-hmm. it. They loved it. The second I switched from that, it was mm-hmm. just like going into my regular whatever stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like I still got last, but it definitely didn't hit mm-hmm. as hard as any of that stuff. They were that's what they were. They, they can relate to those things. So good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's just a, a universal thing. Yeah, I actually we have cheat codes for shows, Evelyn. Good. I know, I know. It was the funniest thing that's happened to me recently. This is one. So I did the the first show I did during quarantine was from rehab. Yeah. Um, which I think is crazy. I I love that I can say I did a show from rehab. That's so awesome. It was like over Zoom. Um, and they had like a grand. You could come p- up with a bit just on that, by the way. You know, yeah. Right? Well, they had a grand piano there, and so I played the piano and like sang a song about being piano? in. I can play piano. I took oh. I took lessons for like eight years, but it was like classical stuff, so I never really got super invested in it. Yeah. Um, but I can like sound out stuff pretty well. Um, Got it. But the other so awesome. Thank you. Another (laughs) show that I did during quarantine was a Zoom show. It was for 
the Ohio State, I went there, the Ohio State undergraduate neuroscience department, I, I was a neuroscience major as well, um, had a Zoom show during quarantine, and it was me, Bobby, and our other roommate, Paul, who actually they had reached out to because he was also a neuros- neuroscience major, yeah. and we all went to Ohio State. That's where we met. Oh, I didn't know you and Bobby knew each other before Chicago. Yeah, we met in college. We met in a stand-up comedy club at Ohio State. That's how I got into stand-up. By the way, that's another guy who I want on this fucking podcast. Bobby's a a low-key murderer. Fuck. He's he's great. Um, But so, so Paul did his material. It was very just much like goofy, whatever. And then I had 10 minutes. I did my entire set about being in rehab and my eating disorder and like I like kind of roasted the department because they like didn't remember me but they remembered Paul and like I I, I kind of like implied that like my degree is useless and blah 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 all that stuff and <laughs> so, so the actual department that's good. yeah so that's good. and like good the stuff. department head was there and then and like I thought myself went really well I'm like oh cool like mental health like this is for the neuro department whatever and then Bobby is in the middle of Bobby's set the call just the zoom call drops and it and then we're like what's going on was there technical difficulties paul emailed someone and they were like yeah like there were technical difficulties at first but then um dr campbell who's the head of the neuroscience what, department, wait, what's his name dr campbell I thought you say cannibal. I'm just like, oh, no. okay. Dr. Campbell, the head of the Ohio State Neuroscience Department, who I've been informed is a total narcissist and a horrible person. But I, I don't know that person. Wait, the head of a department? But, the hell you say? Uh, yeah, I know. Um, but it was... Eh. So he decided that the material was too dark um, and inappropriate <laughs> for a comedy show. Um, and so he just decided to pull the plug on the whole show just abruptly in the middle of Bobby's set. And then later that evening, I got an Fuck email. Him, by the way. I got an email from Dr. Campbell. It was this mass email. I don't know why the fuck I got it. I don't know if I'm still on like the department email list or whatever. But basically an email from Dr. Campbell being like, good evening, everyone. Like tonight's OSU neuro comedy event contained some unexpected material that was not appropriate for an academic setting. If you basically like kind of just like apologizing for like my set and like, well, Bobby had like one dig joke. So maybe like that was like, stop. But it's a, I know. And so basically he say he said, dick. did he actually say dick? He like mentioned his dick, but like it wasn't even a joke about that. Like that wasn't the like yeah crux of the joke. And so you know it, what, Evelyn? When you do these types of shows, you gotta just leave all the like you know dead babies slash you know child rape jokes. Just leave those. I know for the non academic uh, shows. I know. I really got it. Well, I did. My last joke did involve nine eleven, so like I guess that was sort of like stereotypical <laughs> yeah. edge edge lord. But like it was, it's a good joke, and like I honestly do I'm, I tell the joke? So, I feel like I'm putting you on the spot, but like no, I, I don't think I'll I've heard into, this show. So okay. it's at the end of like, so I basically talk. I do. I tend to do sets about like all one thing. Yeah. And so I was. It's at the end of like a set where I just do a bunch of jokes about like my eating disorder, and so it was about like rehab and 
for this set and like um and so basically I'm I, I sort of say like okay yeah um oh, what do I say um I'm just talking about treatment and I'm like okay well like basically like I just have to do what I'm afraid of eat over and over and over again until like I don't know I die but like not from the eating disorder and I'm like whatever whatever normal people die from like cancer well I usually say cancer but this time I said COVID yeah uh COVID or 9-11 and Uh, and then I'm like that is what recovery is to me just go standing in a cubicle going down in a fiery accident just eating a donut while you do it no fear love it that is what i'm working towards and so okay no i all right so having said that that's how you ended yourself yes i kind of see where dr campbell neuroscience this doesn't belong in academia i maybe but like Dude, at least let Bobby get his fucking set in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. at least let that happen. Uh, Justice for Bob. Justice Justice for Bob's dick. For Bob's dick. Let let Bob's dick fucking breathe. Uh, We're going to wrap this up. Where Mm -hmm. can people see you? Is there anything you're working on right now? Any projects Mm -hmm. people should be interested in? Uh, I know I was supposed to watch the movie that you were in, and I didn't because I've been, I don't know, fucking... I'm old and crazy. What do you want? It's okay. So what's the movie? Tell them the movie that you're in so Uh, they could, uh, you get those downloads and get the money and. Oh yeah. So in, well, in 2017, I was, um, in a movie. It's called Killer Raccoons 2, exclamation point. (laughs) Dark Christmas in the Dark. Um, it is both a sequel of the first Killer Raccoons movie, which was made over a decade previously. And, a parody of, um, uh, not Interstellar. Um, oh, that would Under be great. Siege? If it was a, Under, Under Siege, yeah. Is Under Siege two? Is that the one with? They were on a train. The first one, they're on a boat. Okay, yeah, they were on a train. Yeah, it's a parody of Under Siege two. Wow, not um, even not even the good Under Siege movie. That's awesome. Yeah, that is well, good. Yeah. So, um, anyway, it's about like raccoons that eat people, and I I play the one of the leads. I I was just casting it because um my friend is the he was a writer and director, and yeah. like the person they had cast as like that lead like dropped out last minute and he knew me from stand-up because he does stand-up in columbus and he was like hey can you act and i was like uh i think so so (laughs) i that was i had i had zero acting experience going into this movie so my acting is not great but it was super fun um it's a movie about killer people eating raccoons that i'm pretty sure doesn't have the highest budget in the world killer raccoons eating people killer raccoons eating people um any projects you're working on right now no i'm like trying to do more like poetry and eventually get back into like doing rap stuff um do you have anything rap stuff related that people could check out no, I'm really bad at like putting my stuff out there and having it all organized, so I do not. Wow, no um, wonder why you get along with certain people in the room. Certain people who 
have projects that never get released. Um, and I'm going to put, I'm going to get your socials. I'm going to put those in the, uh, if you want, I'll put them in the uh, episode description. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to leave off on or anything you want people to know or any um, final words? Nothing. That specific. did not sound good. Any <laughs> final words uh, As, for the podcast? Just so you know, both Derek and Canute are armed right now. No. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, nothing specific. This was super fun. Wow. Thank so you for good. having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being on here, guys. Check out Evelyn Troutman. Check out me. Once again, Derek Strong, Epic Cheat Day Podcast, Gmail, Facebook, Instagram. Send me a message. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. You next. What, grabbing it? You don't like me grabbing it? Mike, we're good.